This week on Trek Mary Kill. Cisco, wormhole, orbs. Next. At the edge of the universe when the future is in peril. Got Cardassians on our back doorstep. One man faces an impossible mission. I will do the job I've been ordered to do. Serve to protect a defenseless space station. I don't believe the Federation has any business being here. Command an untested crew. And to relive a deadly encounter. You will disarm your weapons. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jay. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, where we gush over and judge episodes of our favorite show, Star Trek. This week, we're looking at Star Trek Deep Space Nine's two-hour pilot episode, Emissary. And this week, we have a special guest, writer Jay Holtham whose latest work you can see on Hulu with Handmaid's Tale, previously CW Supergirl, Jessica Jones for Netflix, Cloak and Dagger for Freeform, and Pitch on Fox. And next year, I saw you have a short story in IDW's graphic novel collection, Star Trek, Warriors of the Mirror War. And you are also a resident dramaturg for the Ojai Playwrights Conference. So Jay is a prolific member of the WGA, an accomplished playwright, and perfect for this show because he's also a highly qualified geek. Pleased to have him. Jay, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad. Thanks for having me. It should come as no surprise why I asked you to come on for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because on November 4th, 2019, you tweeted, I'm pretty sure someone just unmatched me on Bumble over my choice of Star Trek captain. And I can't even fault him, really. That shit is serious. <laughs> wow. That wow, that was a time. That was a time in my life. Holy crap. <laughs> and you were asked which captain, and you said Cisco. I knew it was controversial when I said it. I didn't even get into my love of Janeway. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Cisco, that's usually a conversation stopper. It shouldn't be, but it is. Yeah. Wow. Not on this show. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, I think at the end of the day, I think I've matured into preferring Cisco. He's yeah. my favorite captain, I think. He's uh, really great. Same, same, same. Well, listen, there's still Picard. There's always Picard. Yeah. I worked it out this way. You know, Picard, uh, Kristen and I have a mutual friend. He refers to him as Space Dad. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's Picard. And then, yep. And then. Uh, Cisco is Cisco and the whole Deep Space Nine cast. They're like the family you choose. They're your friends. Yeah. Although Cisco uh, totally. is actually a dad. Yeah, yeah he I is know. a dad. <laughs> he's like a cool dad. So he's yeah, he's way too cool. Yeah, Picard, even in his imagination, was a distant father. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> oh, Picard's so grumpy. I watched the first uh, a chunk of the first season recently, and I was like, he started off like a real jerk. In those yes. first few episodes, like a real stick in the mud. And Cisco is like cool as a cucumber right off the bat. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's hard not to um, really like Deep Space Nine at the end of yeah. the day. <laughs> yeah, it really is. All right. A little bit of our business here. Emissary debuted in syndication 
uh, on January 3rd, 1993, teleplay by Michael Piller, who I want to talk about a little bit, uh, from a story by Rick Berman and Michael Piller. It was directed by David Carson, who directed Yesterday's Enterprise, famously, mm-hmm. but it was his work here on the Steep Space Nine pilot that got him Star Trek Generations, the first Next Generation movie. He was handed a big budget with a lot to do, and, and it worked out, and they loved him for it. Um, I didn't write up an actual description. It's the pilot for Deep Space Nine. We meet Captain. <laughs> we meet, sorry, Commander Benjamin Sisko, whose wife died in the Battle of Wolf 359, and he blames Picard for that death. He gets assigned to the space station, and the space station is, um, after the Cardassians have left, they've left the space station in orbit of Bajor that they had occupied for 60 years. Bajor is on the verge of civil war, unless the religious leader decides to tell them, hey guys, cool it. And uh, the only way the religious leader will do that is if Cisco finds the orbs of the celestial temple. And it turns out to be a, a wormhole that's stable that connects to the gamma quadrant. And it's uh, it's inhabited by these aliens that don't understand the concept of linear time. And so Cisco has to describe and explain it to them at great personal cost. Do, do you remember when you first saw this episode? Do you have any feelings from then versus now since you just watched it again? I do not remember. I do not remember first watching it. I'm sure that I watched it, uh, and I'm sure that I loved it. I mean, it was I was a, a wee lad. Uh, I was in college at that point, and I watched a lot of Star Trek and was really invested in it. Um, but I do not particularly remember watching this, though I was at home, so that may have been anyway. I'm just like looking, thinking about what I was doing in January of 1993, which is. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> some time ago. <laughs> some time ago. And I've watched it a couple times since. I did a full watch through of all of the main Star Trek stuff uh, a couple years back. Um, so the all the original series, Next Generation. Actually, I didn't do all the original series. I just did Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and um, Voyager, uh, and Enterprise. Um, and... It's, watching it again today, I was just like, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's such a great pilot, like, in every way. And it's so different from every other Star Trek pilot. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's it's so much better than the Next Generation pilot. Um, I mean, you could tell they actually had a budget for this one, number one. Yeah. And... They already kind of knew what they wanted to do, more or less. I mean, some of the characters aren't quite, you know, fleshed out. Some of the acting's a little uneven here and there. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I don't have a strong memory of watching this one when it premiered, but I definitely remember the tie-in with one of my favorite Next Generation storylines, which is when Picard gets kidnapped by the Borg. And so I like yeah. that tie-in. And of course, I. The thing I remembered most, though, was the opening. And I remember thinking that the opening was really cool when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why, but it seemed it was so much different, I think, than the next generation opening. And the idea of a space station in deep space was very interesting to me. Yeah, that's what stood out to me as as a very young double digits person <laughs> watching it, <laughs> saying it's weird seeing Star Trek with all the same basically costumes and designs, you know, visual effects and kind of the same mood, but not, you know, it's kind of told from other characters' perspectives. I remember mm-hmm. being very interested in it um, and watching it today. I had the same feeling as you watching it. And I'm like, wow, this is a really, really great pilot. Um, I think one thing we got to talk about is Michael Piller was uh, he's, 
an unheralded guy in the pantheon of Star Trek history, but he was a really important figure and he's the driver of the show in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He saved Next Generation because um, he came in in season three. Uh, there was a transition period of showrunners. I don't know if you knew this, but like season two had one guy, they passed it off to another guy in season three. And then like six weeks or two months into running it before it even aired, he had like a nervous breakdown. So then Michael Piller <laughs> had to step in uh, because running Star Trek is very difficult. So. Yeah. yeah, I imagine it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Michael Piller basically asserted his form of what Star Trek was going to be in the you know late 80s. That's why season mm-hmm. three of Next Generation is so different, so interesting. And I kind of feel like this was his last big push because mm-hmm. it, it all got very stale in a lot of ways. Um, even the first couple of seasons of Deep Space Nine, I feel like it kind of gets the the later seasons of Next Gen, the first couple of years of Deep Space Nine, and even the first two seasons of Voyager. There's kind of like a, a sameness to it. It all starts to get repetitious. But this was like his really last finding a really good idea and digging in in a way that was both Star Trek and interesting and modern. Yeah. I mean, this show has influenced the last 30 years of television. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, but also Buffy. I think even Breaking Bad. Like, just just knowing that you could do serialization in a way, um, on television in, in this way, mm-hmm. I think it gave people a lot of freedom. Um, it, so it's revolutionary. <laughs> Maybe that's why it can, <laughs> it, 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 every so often it pops back up in, in popular culture. Um, yeah. The Deep Space Nine documentary. There was an article literally last week written by uh, in The Guardian by someone named Paul Verhoeven. As far as I know, it was not the Starship Troopers showgirls director, Paul Verhoeven. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, But it would be funny if Paul Verhoeven did write an episode or an article called The Underrated Star Trek, Why You Should Watch Deep Space Nine. And then Lower Decks revisited Deep Space Nine this season, um, which I dutifully watched. I dropped in the Nah Visitor and Armin Shimmerman were guest voices, and I watched it, and I hope that CBS will take those numbers and say, we should remaster this show. (laughs) I wish. Oh, I saw a little, little, the reason for that is like, this was the first Star Trek show that was did a lot of CGI because the model mm-hmm. photography was so expensive, and so it, in order to actually remaster it in HD, they'd have to redo all the effects. I know they're all done they in standard do def. Yeah, and that would be, I imagine, be very it. very time <laughs> consuming. No, make it happen, guys. Yeah, they've had a lot of drive failures with the original assets, so all that stuff has to rebuild. But you know what? Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're saying do it. What else? <laughs> the expense, just do it. I had two tickets to the deep space nine documentary when it was in theaters and Mm. my partner was like, no, it's too nerdy. I'm not going. And so, (laughs) but I, it was good because I nearly burst into tears when they appeared on the big screen remastered in high def. And I was like, yes, amazing. Uh, So I, I would want that. If uh, P plus wants me crying, just do that. (laughs) Yes. I'm I'm sure they do. (laughs) Uh, one thing you were saying, you were doing a rewatch. One thing mm-hmm. I'd like us to do with this show, Trek, Mary Kill, is we want to give people viewing guides. We want to point yep. them in the right direction of where they should start. And, and you know, sometimes Star Trek shows kind of get like, oh, they take a few seasons to get going. And maybe that's true in the case of Doomsday Nine. But I'm saying the pilot is a great place to start here. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think Deep Space Nine takes as long to get going. Like Deep Space Nine. No is a little uneven, but, like, most of the seasons are good. 
and most of the seasons work. There are a few. Uh, my tolerance for Ferengi episodes is limited, <laughs> um, and my tolerance for some of the late later seasons uh, holodeck shenanigans uh, is also limited, but... Those are usually like one or two episodes in the course of a, a really great season. And one other thing I want to say that I think sets this pilot so much apart from every other Star Trek pilot, with maybe the exception of Enterprise, is how much conflict there is. Nobody yeah. likes each other immediately. And like that is, it's so interesting and it's so interesting like how those battle lines are drawn and how much they obviously come into play over the course of the season, uh, over the course of the series and over over the, the sort of development of these characters. But it's so interesting to see them in this pilot staking, each person sort of staking out their territory and like staking out uh, uh, conflicts that will become important and or, or even just sort of running uh, commentary throughout the season, you know, like... Um, I was this time I was really struck by Odo and Bashir's first interactions and like how disdainful Odo is of everyone, but particularly <laughs> Bashir. And I was like, oh, and that's that's great because that that doesn't really go away. And that's it's nice to see that it's here, you know. He was inspired by the LA riots in a lot of ways, Michael Pillar and revising that, which is mm -hmm. that's a tough starting point, yep. but also Ooh. feeling like because of what the setup was that this federation was basically administering you know for the space station and yeah. for this provisionally entered into the federation planet that it, it gave them that kind of wiggle room to find the find the tension the conflict and I, I feel like it not only is it so much conflict but it fits within star trek like all yeah. the conflict is if you've watched next generation it's like yeah that makes sense yeah, totally. It totally does. And it's also, you know, I think this is also uh, part of it is this is this comes, I believe, after Gene is dead um, and Gene was a very big no conflict person, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why the first couple seasons of Next Gen are so wonky, because everyone just likes each other and there's no sort of interpersonal issues with this one. They were like, we're loading it all up. Every <laughs> Everyone has an issue with everyone else in one way or another, and they all have an issue with this station. And the and station's so, a piece of crap, too. The station's a piece of crap. None of them want to be there. None of them want the other people to be there either. And maybe they'll all be at each other's throats at any minute. It's, it's really nice. It's a nice feel for a pilot, especially since, you know, by the end of it, they do all, like, wind up on the same page. Basically, mods asleep post-conflict. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so just a couple of episode specific notes, any factoids or anything you want to point out before we get into our grading? Mm. Um, I have, you know, Ensign Rowe was supposed to be the Bajoran co-lead. They couldn't get Michelle Forbes and we got Nana Visitor and they revamped the character. I was thinking, oh, are these just copy paste or, you know, find replace? And that was not the case. They they no. just reconceived of the character. Um, Very much so. Re and really nice. Yeah, and I think different. for the show's betterment. Um, Absolutely. I, I'm happy when I meet people named Kira to this day. <laughs> uh, same with any Ben's or yep. Odo's or Dax's. Any, any of those names. <laughs> and I just get really happy. Oh, God. I'm trying to think. There was nothing that jumped out at me in terms of, like, later trivia or anything. It was just interesting, to again, to see, like, all of the information we get. Because we're also introduced to Trill's. And, like, given so little information, I forgot, like, how little they tell us about what is what that was 
in the pilot it's like it's wild it's just wild to me uh, you would have have if you have seen the host in the next generation you kind of vaguely remember it and then they also oh, right. they redesigned the the look of the trail as well but yeah. they're they're counting on the fact that you can't just go dial up that episode immediately unless you <laughs> exactly. them all yeah. to uh track you there <laughs> I just want to point out a couple of other little quick things. Uh, Michael Pillar said he used Encounter at Farpoint as a guide to how to structure mm-hmm. this episode. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of does fit, except yeah. the trial is not the trial of humanity. It's Ben Sisko who's on trial, essentially. Yep. If you watch Star Trek Discovery, uh, this episode or this show, I said, it has informed the last 30 years of television. It's still influencing Star Trek today. In a lot of ways, the burn in discovery mm. uh, was kind of like a, an inversion of this. It's like a take on this where someone's trauma actually affects the whole universe. This one's like the whole <laughs> universe. You know, it's kind of, that's what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and then I have to point this out now because I didn't know where else to put it. Actors checking their marks. <laughs> <laughs> Only because Avery Brooks does it twice when he and, and Jake are leaving the holodeck at the beginning <laughs> He looks down twice, and then the second time he takes a really big step to make sure they hit their mark to time with the camera to look out the window. And then the lieutenant who's running the night shift on the Enterprise, she looks down. I don't know. These are things, by the way, that I remember from childhood. No, it's not a hate. It's just a thing. It's like, why do I remember this? It's like a pet peeve of yours, though, right? It's it's amazing. It's also just, this is the stuff I remembered watching these multiple times when I was a kid on on tape. You just look for all these. Or it's like, there are so few details you can notice on a 480 resolution screen. That's one of the things to notice is where someone's (laughs) eyes go. Uh, Maybe it's a threat response. I'm always tracking where someone's looking. I don't know. (laughs) Let's start with our grades. So great scenes. It's, it's, obvious but that that opening is really 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 stunning and really shocking in every sort of way um like it's really cool one i'd have actually keep forgetting that cisco isn't even the captain of the saratoga he's yeah. the number one he's the xo um and so you watch one you see something that you don't really get to see a lot in star trek the entire bridge crew is killed um immediately Not true Lieutenant oh, wait, almost the Bolian, the, the Bolian tactical officer does survive, but pretty much everyone else is killed. Um, and it's also interesting. It's interesting to start it off at Wolf three five nine, which is obviously something everyone's familiar with, and you're you're mentally aware that the Borg killed a bunch of star like Starfleet officers um, with Locutus, but this really does drive it home that like, oh yeah, that was that was bad. That was yeah, a, there, that there was are there are real time. consequences there. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of the I think it's the first time in the run of the show where we see the bridge of any ship like movie quality being trashed, like on yes. the series. Mm-hmm. I think in the movies the, with the original crew we had. But even mm-hmm. in like I mean, yesterday's Enterprise was sort of the worst we'd seen any Starship bridge really take. It yeah, was, yeah it was, it's also just very traumatic and emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know when he finds jennifer in the rubble and and all that um oh, oh it's just heartbreaking just heartbreaking yeah. it's i mean we're gonna revisit that moment later yeah. on as well <laughs> many times <laughs> yeah uh Kristen, what um, about you? yeah so in addition to that i really liked it when um otto had a flail thrown at his head and then he's <laughs> but he's a shapeshifter so he's fine and then the guy who's the the creature who threw it at him is just like, huh? 
<laughs> and I just love those little cheesy kind of moments. Like, oh, Otto's got something going on. Mm-hmm. And that is a flail thrown at his head. <laughs> that would normally, you know, injure somebody. I love that he turns and looks back. Yeah, I'm like, like, what did you hmm. what, what do you think was oh maybe you're just checking to make sure it didn't hit it hit anyone else, but <laughs> Yeah. And also, like, it's one of those things that for me when I was watching it brought the question of like, wait, does, was this guy did like they sneak this guy in? Like, yeah. how does he not know that that's what Odo does? Like that's very funny. Like, yeah. Where did he come <laughs> from that this had is a surprise to him? They had break-ins recently, and I'm like, how are you breaking in? Exactly. Onto a space, like, just someone docks, and they start ransacking the place? I I don't understand. Also, it blows up Kira's theory that uh, Quark probably sent them to steal the aura samples. I'm like, he wouldn't if he knew that Odo was (laughs) immediately find out about it. Or maybe they thought they'd get away. Like, I was also, I was surprised in that, like, Nog, who's such a like beloved character, is such a little weasel in all of that. Like he's terrible. He's got to have somewhere to grow. He's got to have an arc to grow into. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does. Uh, I put uh, after Wolf three fifty nine. I put Cisco versus Picard. I put round one, but really, yeah, yeah, that's the main scene. <laughs> I have that Ooh. down too. Yeah. Ooh, that scene. That scene is so good. It's it's so good in so many ways. It's you write the you write the scene saying like here's everyone's favorite captain, literally the one mm-hmm. known across the world, and is mm-hmm. maybe was, and then here's our new character saying I'm I don't like you. Yeah, I don't like you. You killed my wife. Yeah, the the dynamics of that scene are so great because you know Picard, I, as much as I love him, Picard is a stickler for chain of command for rank. And for like three quarters of that scene, he is very much like, why is this dude mad dogging me? Why yeah. is this dude treating me like crap? I'm in charge here until until Cisco is like, yeah, you killed my wife. And then he's like, oh, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, my bad, my bad. You're cool. I just couldn't believe the acting that from Patrick Stewart in that scene. He's yeah. been playing this character for you know six years by this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's been playing the same note over and over again. And he finally gets like a real scene of conflict and probably like, I think this was the season he did Chain of Command. So he's playing torture yeah. in this that year. But, you know, he's got a guy who's basically saying, I don't like you. I don't yeah. care who you are. I don't like you. And just seeing Patrick Stewart having to play Picard as, OK, I get this. I still have to go through with this briefing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then when Cisco's like, uh, I don't even really want to be here. Yeah. Now he's got to be like, well, wait a minute. I, it's one thing if you hate me and you're good at your job, but if you're checking out, you know, yeah. he kind of like, he like literally pours, makes a peace offering with the tea and Cisco just kicks it right back. And then he yeah. realizes I kind of have an upper hand. So it was just like a really interesting scene just from a, if you've been watching next generation and like everyone's in their rhythms to see mm-hmm. everyone like Patrick Stewart suddenly on his toes having to really act, it really comes through. Yeah, and I think it's yeah. also really bold of a show to say, this is that character you like, and our new main character hates his guts. Yeah, right. it really is. Not that he's better than him, right? They're not, like, trying to no, say, like, it's here's like, something yeah. new and improved. Yeah. I think it, yeah, I also think that's a good choice of, oh, it's not this guy, like, this upstart trying to make, like, trying to seem like he is better than Picard. It's like, we have legitimate beef here. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, it isn't it isn't like he's an upstart and he's trying to prove Picard wrong. It's like it is mm-hmm. ultimately you killed my wife. And just a reminder, whether you were even when Picard is like, you know what happened there, it's like whether you were under control or not, you betrayed the Federation and Starfleet. And no matter what, you can't just pretend that didn't happen. You know? All yeah. those people died because <laughs> of you. And yeah. like that's heavy. That's the heavy shit. Cisco tags Quark with the community leader label <laughs> in the, yep. the plea bargaining exchange. <laughs> yeah. Great scene. I'm not a fan of scenes ending or with characters telling the audience in the first episode. You know, at first I, I didn't think I was going to like him. I, I don't like that. Like they do that in the strange new worlds pilot. Like that's why you're my favorite and all that kind of stuff. It just seems like writerly shorthand for whatever, mm-hmm. just to tag right away. But for that moment, it really worked for Odo's character because up until yeah. that point, it was clear, like what you said, Kristen, Odo doesn't like, or, or Jay, Odo doesn't like anybody. No. <laughs> no, and for no. probably good reason. He's probably had to deal with a lot of bullshit from a lot of people for a very long yep. time. Yep. And he's like, who the fuck is this guy? Yep. Yeah, and it's it's also, I love it. It comes uh, pretty soon right after the uh, Picard scene, right? So he's in his jumpsuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of settling into being the station commander. And he's got a completely different energy. He's all smiles. Yeah. You are a gambler, aren't you? Like, he's really playing him <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, it's Ooh. really great. I mean, Avery Brooks is in almost every, he's in like 90% of the scenes of this yeah. script. Yeah. He's got to yeah. do so much. I'm kind of, we'll get to that later, I guess. But anyway, other great scenes? Um, I did like, I liked it when Picard was saying goodbye to O'Brien and he beamed him yeah. aboard Deep Space Nine because we're saying goodbye to that character on that show. So there has, it has to be marked in some way. And so I thought that it fit really well and also, you know, gives the audience who's a, who may have maybe fans of the next generation like, oh, this guy's going to stick around. Yeah. So yeah. I like him and he's also liked by the other guy I like. And so I think it's, <laughs> I, I, I think like nineties television audiences um, kind of need that, need that. I think uh, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not giving people enough credit, but yeah, no, I think, I think it you're giving helps them the, the audience exactly. <laughs> when it's like this guy I like, cause he is yep. liked by this other guy I like, and he's sticking around so right. I can stick and around too. O'Brien really was a fan favorite more than mm-hmm. like an important part of the, of next generation. He's just this guy that, like, as fans, we all sort of loved and fell for. And, like, he was just our guy. So it's also mm-hmm. nice to give him that, like, to give him the honor of that moment of, like, yeah, he's leaving this place. And he weirdly has a favorite transporter room. We're not going <laughs> to That we're just finding out about, I think. Exactly. <laughs> so that's what I put, why I put the scene as a great scene, but kind of ironically or funny. I'm, Everything you said is correct, Kristen, but to me, it's just ridiculous how they chose to do it because <laughs> the idea that the only thing Picard has to say to him as like the, the you know, the birthday card in the office or whatever, is like, this was your favorite transporter room. I accidentally <laughs> called for you and I called down here. How about this? How about this? We O'Brien mentioned his wife earlier in the episode. It's a bit of a shame that we don't actually meet Keiko, see Keiko in this episode. Yeah. Picard married them. So wouldn't it have made more sense if O'Brien and Keiko are do, like are in that bridge scene and then in the transporter room and he's saying goodbye to both of them because that's what's leaving the ship is this family that started here is now moving mm-hmm. on to somewhere else. So th- to me, only because there, there was what was missing from that scene was sort of like 
actual humanity. <laughs> I mean, it helps that Patrick Stewart and Colin Meany are great actors, right? Yeah. So that that's the humanity. But the writing wasn't helping them there. This is your favorite no. transporter room. <laughs> yeah, the, the transporter room thing. I was like, is it? Like, so do, do people have favorite transporter rooms? They all, they're pretty. They're all the same, right? Like, all the same. It's the yeah, same. They're all the same. Right? Maybe there's a different number on the door. Yeah, and Colin Meenum's even acting it like this is a ridiculous thing that they're talking about. <laughs> like his face is like, yeah, number three. <laughs> yeah, good, good old reliable, yeah. I also put down uh, back to Odo. He's able to shapeshift into a bag in which one can place gold bars. Yes. And then be carried onto a ship placed in a cage. And then shapeshift out. You like that. That was a great scene. I found it very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, I was like, I mean, I know you have to set the scene of this is what this guy can do, but that seemed a little far-fetched for me, but I, I liked it because I found it. I mean, I found it funny and entertaining. I think it gets super wild later on when Odo's saying what the shapeshifters can do. This is in later seasons. And he goes, they can even be a, a piece of reflective material. And I'm like, mm-hmm. get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they can. They turn into a lamp. That's also yeah. a bomb at some point. Like it's, it's wild. Those shapeshifters, like it really, and that I did note that. And I meant to go back and rewind, but I was watching and like moving on. I was like, did the gold fall out? Yeah, because you don't hear anything like clanking. Yeah, like, like, that was my oh my god, that was my thought about the bottom of the bag. I'm like, okay, yeah. everything's fine, but then as the bag, it's good that they cut away from that reveal. But I was mm-hmm. just thinking, if you're a clank, life form, clank, clank. yeah, if you're a life form yeah. trying to get your mass out from underneath something of any weight, isn't it a struggle? <laughs> yeah, or like, I mean, listen, you're liquidy fine, but as he turns, like, yeah, the the gold should have fallen to the bottom of that. Uh, uh, that whatever locker with a grate on it that the Cardassians have because that's that's how they roll. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that was a little. I, it was cool, but it was also a little like okay, all right. So that yeah, I didn't know where else to put it because it's yeah. not really a trope. I have it coming up in worse tropes. It's oh, connected okay. to something else as a trope mm-hmm. I don't like. One of my other ones, like I loved the standoff scene with Kira. Uh, and the Cardassian commander, uh, as she tried to bluff her way out of them getting blown up and and failed, she totally failed. But it was still a great bluff and a great scene. Um, and yeah, I thought I it was that just, like, really nailed her character and was obviously also like Nana visitor having fun, which is always I always like that um, when the actors are clearly having a good time, and I really really dug that. Sometimes I forget that these scenes can also just be moments, but yes, that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool because like we've established that this is her home mm-hmm. <laughs> and her being in charge instead of Commander Cisco, I think is very cool and kind of it's it's something that I don't think the other Star Trek shows up to this point would have tried in a pilot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like not having Cisco in that moment, and even not even just the moment, but like that whole scene around it. Like watching her work with O'Brien, and which watching like, like there's uh, whenever I talk about Star Trek, I always talk about uh, competence porn, 
And it's always yeah. sort of like watching people <laughs> who are good at their jobs work together. Yeah. And yeah, it was nice to see that there wasn't any, I feel like other kinds of shows or even honestly, some more recent Star Trek shows, there would have been a lot more like, well, you're not my captain. And that would have been part of the conflict. Um, yeah. But it was great that O'Brien was just like, nope, you're in charge. Okay. <laughs> right. we, we only have six torpedoes. What are you going to do? Uh, it was kind of a battle of the subordinates or the second in commands too, though, because we did have right. the scene with Cisco earlier with Ducat, which I don't oh. label as a great scene, but I kind of should have just said this at the start of this category. Um, I thought every scene in this episode in this pilot was, was good to great. Yeah. I, I, to me, I didn't think there was a scene that was bad. If, if there is one that I'm not thinking of, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I really did think every scene did something well or was interesting in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And so, it, yeah, that's a great moment to shine on, though, because now she's also dealing with Gold Jassad, who is like super mustache twirling. And oh, very uh, OK, so my the, the two I have two great scenes left, but it's really just the whole uh, all the Cisco and profit stuff. Uh, I The parts I ex- single out are these two. Cisco explains baseball to the wormhole <laughs> aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's amazing and yes. it makes me wonder, it's too bad Michael Pillar passed away because it would be nice to just ask him, did you work backwards from that? How do I incorporate <laughs> this thing I love into Star Trek and make it a central part of the plot? And then the other yeah. part of that is, I think when the wormhole aliens, the prophets, get Cisco to realize that he exists, quote unquote, in the moment of Jennifer's yeah. death. I mean, it's so brutal. It's so hard. It's so sad. And uh, it's just incredibly emotional, but um, it's it's kind of a head and heart situation. Like it, it runs the gamut of emotions in that entire prophet sequence. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I love that sequence, but it will also wind up in my worst Trex tropes. Just uh, spoiler alert, just because it's also it's it, I agree with everything you said. And it's beautifully done and beautifully acted by everyone in it. And it's fun to see also all the different characters but it is also one of those like great classic Star Trek scenes where you're getting that alien that doesn't understand existence, even though apparently they are, you know, virtually omnipotent and all powerful <laughs> and have been like messing with the Bajorans for 10,000 years and yet don't understand how material world works. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. Like how, what is time? What is time? Like, oh boy. <laughs> oh jeez. But I agree with you that every scene is really good. Every scene I think is like is so key to the plot and key to the show and and key to like the movement of everything and it all sort of works really really nicely together. Um so we have best trek tropes and for me I put the bridge blowing up so much <laughs> uh, which we've already touched on, but I love it. It was Things were really blowing up. This was serious. And we know that's how we know if something's very serious on Star Trek, if the bridge starts blowing up. And I also put wormhole in the first episode. I love it. Um, (laughs) It shows up here and there, but the first episode we get a wormhole. And I loved it. (laughs) Those are great. When it's a side to side shaking, that's pretty bad. But when the camera's yeah. going up and down, that's when you know that's the super severe one. Yeah, we didn't get really. that a lot of the time. That was pretty great. Uh, with the wormhole, I had great VFX for TV because Star Trek has 
for a very long time was basically cutting edge for television special effects. And that wormhole mm-hmm. was not cheap and it was oh, no. pretty cutting edge for its time. <laughs> and I think the Odo morphing is kind of, we can do that on our phones now, the morphing yeah. stuff but for, but again, the for time, its time. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Jay, I please, please go next. Well, see, this is, this is my, my, my issue here is that these two things are the same for me. Like all of my best, my favorite Trek tropes are also all of like the worst. Uh, I think it's part of the the point. It's the fun of it. Exactly. It's like, Oh my God. You know, everything O'Brien did just like all of that techno babble, all of that. (laughs) I'm going to go and do, this is one of my favorites. I'm going to go and transfer the energy manually and then he just goes to another panel and presses other buttons. Mm-hmm. But then later on, he has to do a thing with a tool. And I was like, what is, you're just making this up. Like, I think you, Kalmini, is just making this up right here, right now. Uh, and it's great. And I love it. Um, and of course, the let me do something crazy uh, that is obviously not going to work. But of course it works. All of those sequences, that entire sequence was like me in cheesiest, most wonderful Star Trek sci-fi nirvana happiness at every turn. I had Captain's Log, but we get the coolest variation ever because it's the first episode. Mm. Commence Station Log. Oh, Mm. so great. And then Kira gets to add on to it. I thought that was good. Yeah, I put that too. (laughs) Yep. Uh, go ahead, Kristen. You have another okay, one? Okay, and uh, no, that was it, actually. Was okay. Uh, the Enterprise being the closest ship, usually that's the a bad trope because it's so ridiculous, <laughs> but we get to see it from the other point of view of the people yeah. waiting for the Enterprise to show up. So yeah. the, flip, the flip of the trope is what makes it great. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. That's going to take two days. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah that totally. seems like very long. Doesn't seem like they'd been gone that long. Yeah, it seems like the card's in a real hurry here. to get back there. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this guy already needs my help. <laughs> yeah, this guy's this guy's gonna make me. Eat yeah, let, let's not burn rubber oh. trying to get there. Yeah. Uh, and next we have worst Trek tropes. Uh, Jay, what do you have? Um, I mean, yeah, the the like I said, everything O'Brien does is brilliant and terrible and cheesy uh, and awkward. <laughs> I wrote down, is it God? Um, Because every so often on Star Trek, we meet, you know, we met Q in the first episode of Next Generation. We meet some kind of omniscient, omnipotent being or Mm -hmm. something. And so we have that here too. And I mean, and when I say worst, it was the worst one I picked out of this show. Um, I wouldn't say it was really that bad, but I had to put something. And so it's about, we do have the the spiritual leader of our advisor and we have the orbs and then we have, you know, the wormhole. And, you know, there's always that question, is it kind of God? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that's what I put. This time they don't punch God in the mouth. They, they they don't, they teach God God. baseball. God does not (laughs) ask for a starship this time. That's right. (laughs) All right. My worst Trek tropes, all the ADR. They, did they did they loop everybody? Oh my gosh! Oh it, wow! It, it, I think it kind of hurts the performances in a lot of ways. Now they're shooting like at a yes. beach. You know what I mean? Like there's no, reasons for it. I have so it. much. I have so much to say about the beach scene later. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! Oh the beach! 
Okay, so then what you had talked about earlier about Odo in the bag, when Odo sneaks aboard the Cardassian ship and sabotages it, this is like a genre thing, I think, but Star Trek does it too. Just the idea that you can so easily skulk around and like lower the drawbridge, essentially. <laughs> like they do it all the time in a lot of stuff. Yep. I'm like, I just don't. I mean, that's the the essentially the, the flagship of the Cardassian fleet. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it'd be that easy to just go into like the janitor's closet. And and press a few buttons and shut it all down, but it always exactly. happens in Star Trek. And them not notice. And have them yeah, not, notice. not notice, right? Well, then he can just and, become the the console, and they're like, oh. <laughs> well, they seem kind of arrogant, so I guess I think I'm going to buy that they wouldn't notice right away. But yeah, uh, it seems. And also, for like, they do such a great job in this show, in this show, in this episode in particular, of establishing how many windows there are. It's also like they were doing that so that he could launch the Rio Grande without them noticing. But I'm like, don't think, isn't anyone just looking out a window? Yeah. Just yeah, to see how the ship just flew away. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would think they would be just staring at the station, just have you everything trained on the station. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to run through a, a few of them more that I had. Mm-hmm. The casual sexism. Just uh, O'Brien says to Cisco before he meets Kira, Commander, have you ever served with a Bajoran woman before? And he goes, no, why? And he goes, just asking. I think it's kind of casual sexism, but the fact that they're porting it over to an alien race, like that, mm-hmm. they think like it's their cute cover. I mean, it mm-hmm. does fit with O'Brien as a character because he's always been a little retrograde, except for the union yeah. stuff. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it just kind of stood out. And then other thing, um, Cisco was told to help get Bajor ready for possible entry into the Federation. Picard makes it a point of saying, short of violating the Prime Directive. Well, then the next scene is like Cisco going down to meet Kyle Pak. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what can I do to help? <laughs> Seems like uh, violating yeah. the Prime Directive a little bit there. And then Miranda classes in large-scale fleet battles. That's just <laughs> my Star Trek nerdiness even at, in 1993 was like, what is this? <laughs> this this is a like an outdated class. This class is from Star Trek Two. This is shouldn't be fighting the Borg. <laughs> so they, well, they lost. So yes. there you go. I mean, you're correct. Yeah, <laughs> they shouldn't have been. All right. Well, next we have most of its time quality. Do you have anything for that, Jay? Uh, I think yeah, the sexism definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was another like the, the double girls in the background. And like just all of the the like heavy handedness of the like the political situation and the like the amount that it's, you know, Israel, Palestine or whatever it is. But it just felt like that was the part that was the most like the most heavy winking of it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had carpets on the Saratoga Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) always always with the carpets (laughs) uh well for me very predictably um the wardrobe so we have jake he's fishing on the holodeck and he's wearing um space overalls that look like they're mario yep like if mario were playing tom sawyer or something that's what they look like and quark is wearing this like very bizarre wool suit uh, the pattern on it, very 90s, and his shirt as well. Um, and then Cork hitting on Kira by saying he loves a woman in uniform, like just yeah. going back to that sexism. Like, yep. And then he apparently has his hand on her, and I was like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Is... His hand's on her hip. 
yeah. and she's like mm, no no. And she, but she also just sort of like jokes it off and wanders. And like, I feel like we're supposed to think like, oh, he's going to get her someday. And it's like, oh, no, that's gross. You grossed out by this. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. But also speaking of fashion, literally everything Jennifer wears. Everything. Yeah. Oh, my is gosh. Like the bikini. The, most, <laughs> the bikini, the whatever swoopy thing she's wearing. It's all the like, this is the future as seen by the 90s. It's so it's the 90s. Yeah. Did you notice? Yeah. Did you notice in the background of the beach scene? There's like a oh, yes, a, I did. Like a, a yes, couple did. that runs by while they're talking, and they're wearing sunglasses that are supposed to be like future sunglasses. <laughs> they kind of look more like Max Headroom or something. They look really weird. I think the woman's wearing like a leopard print on her. On She's her. wearing a very high cut um, bathing suit, which has come okay. back into fashion, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I was at the farmer's market two weeks ago and and everyone looking like they were in no doubt was like, oh, the 90s are back. <laughs> oh and I literally God, tweeted really asking and I was told, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. all the kids like by the high school where I live, they all dressed the exact same as I did in high school. And it's really weird. I, so down I to hope, the same backpacks. I hope to the prophets someone's doing a dress like Deep Space Nine fashion <laughs> party. Uh, I don't know if it's yeah. gotten that cool. No, no, man. That leads us right into the line must be drawn here. Best lines. <laughs> so I have baseball. What is this? <laughs> um, Can we just say what is this? It's a great because they say it like 90 this? times. <laughs> yeah. And like the way that and like some of the actors, like I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to see, seem like a very um, naive child. Mm-hmm. But some of the like day players the ones that we're never going to see again those were very interesting to see um their delivery of these lines but trying to explain baseball to a to beings who do not understand linear time is i i, I don't think i would have done that but <laughs> that seems like it'd be so difficult and like and then cisco being like okay well you hit it between the line here and the line there and then my other favorite line the rules don't really matter <laughs> <laughs> and then i also have it is the unknown that defines our existence so mm. when he's trying to explain how people can actually live in a linear existence when they don't know what's going to come next yeah and that people can die and you'll never see them again we uh, that may be the most important thing to understand about humans. It is the unknown that defines our existence. We are constantly searching, not just for answers to our questions, but for new questions. We are explorers. We explore our lives day by day, and we explore the galaxy, trying to explore the boundaries of our knowledge. And that is why I'm here, not to conquer you with weapons or with ideas, but to coexist and learn. Yeah, good stuff. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. that was good stuff. Like, there's such good writing in all those scenes. I also, I mean, it's repeated and it's simple, but I really just love you exist here. You keep bringing us here. I was like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's yeah. a nice way to pull this together. You know, I have to act it out because I've thought about it not every day, but I think about it often <laughs> when I think about this episode or Deep Space Nine in general. Uh, what did I tell you, Jassad? There's your wormhole! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. 
Yeah, I, N- Nana visitor. Yeah, she yes. starts off really. She comes in swinging really for high. the fences on that yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> and even like her first scene, she's like, "You're throwing it all away." Like she's really intense, and then yeah. she kind of <laughs> calms down when she likes Cisco, and then like she has that blip at the end, but it stands out because that is if you're trying to show up the person who didn't believe you and has the power to destroy you. <laughs> She's, yeah. She also hates Cardassians. It's like, it, it all works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I would say, just sort of backing up about, like, the, have you ever met a, uh, uh, worked with a, a Bajoran woman? Like, the thing that I like about Kira is that she's so fiery and so immediate, and it's, like, such a defining character, like, character point for her. You know, that she's, that she is... And it's a little bit them telling us rather than showing us, but that she's like, she speaks her mind and no one really likes her. And, you mm-hmm. know, she's she's got these like ironclad morals and the standard that she holds everyone to that. Yeah, the <laughs> there's your wormhole is so freaking triumphant. But you're right, though. But the thing that this episode does, which maybe some other shows not this is not putting down anything. What I think sometimes what writers or shows tend to forget is not just saying it, but showing it. And like you said, they do tell it. But when we first meet her, she's in an argument. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and she's, she's saying like, I disagree with what you're doing because it's like going to ruin everything we're trying to do. So she's like stating what she believes. And then like, Sisto yep. has that line of like, well, the provisional government would disagree with you. And she's like, well, the provisional government, and I disagree on a lot of things. <laughs> and so you understand her right away. It makes perfect sense. Uh, and yeah. so it's nice to be consistent. All right. Uh, any other great lines? Um, so I didn't actually write it down, so I don't have it verbatim, but there's a scene where Bashir is going on and on about, oh, this is frontier medicine. This is going to oh. be so great. And then she's like, this is not a frontier. I live here. This is my home, um, more or less. I don't remember the exact line, but like her just being this like. This wilderness is my home. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Y- don't be a tourist here. Yeah. Like, either you're here to do the job or not, you know, and he's just kind of a dick about it. I mean, like. He is. Yeah, I mean, big time, like. But what's cool about again just coming back on like the like the the consistency of the character is that like in a lot of shows he would have already been like at at the end of the show he would have been like oh I'm sorry to to Kira or like tempered it but later on when uh, um, Odo is like where's that doctor of yours he's like oh adventure. He's still yeah. he's still that still excited kid about it, and I I actually thought it really endearing that like he didn't it isn't about that character growth here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also like the way he reports to Cisco. He's like thirteen casualties and no fatalities. Yeah, like okay. <laughs> I, I like that someone had to actually tell him what are you doing? Like, aren't, shouldn't you be down there treating the wounded? And he's like, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I guess I should. <laughs> I think this is a well-written script so it's like I don't want to point out great lines to great lines I want to save it a little bit for the acting just because there's like heartbreaking stuff that happens later anyway now the next one is the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance <laughs> now I think we've gotten a little sloppy Kristen we've been kind of I've been kind of throwing them out <laughs> to multiple ones but let's try to keep it in there psych it's a tie anyway Jay go first <laughs> <laughs> I mean listen what do you Avery Brooks man what do you what a performance and it's so he is such a strange performer in this like 
delightful way, unlike anyone else who's ever been a starship captain in any form, like, he's so unpredictable and, like, weird. I'm just, like, I was really struck at him making fun of Jake's okay when he tells him to, like, stay. I was like, what the? Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's just, it's such a great performance. Like, it just, he loves chewing those words. Uh, it's, it's, It's all him for me. Jazz pianist, uh, he's a you know a renowned actor, but he does perform like he's playing jazz in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, he's he is. A, if you watch the captain's documentary, you really get a sense of like, okay, this guy's got a lot of um, a lot of energy <laughs> in, in in ways you wouldn't expect. Uh, I pulled this from the DS Nine documentary. Nana Visitor says that when he would direct, you know, he said he'd want God to show up. So he was very raw and very present, mm. and, and tries to be a very emotional. But I got to say, I think it's a tie. Uh, it's a tie with Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart yeah. understood the assignment. <laughs> this is, well, this he, was, yeah. this was, let's bring Robert Downey Jr. into Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> and Patrick Stewart has to, he has to put, to use wrestling parlance, he has to put Cisco over. And so he has to allow in that scene for Picard to be on his heels. He has to, he has to convey that in the performance. Um, And, and I think Patrick Stewart's performance, I mean, listen, I I'll talk about Avery Brooks some more. This isn't like, I think Patrick Stewart was better. I'm saying Patrick Stewart, he's wearing the board makeup. He's doing a board. I want to know how much Patrick Stewart got paid to do this. I know. I want to know if, I want to know if Patrick Stewart even remembers that he did it. (laughs) I want. Like, I, bet, I bet you remember putting that board makeup on. I think he probably does remember. And it's like he didn't. It wasn't one day of work because he had to no. also play no. the aliens. He was on the Deep Space Nine set. You know, yeah. it's like, it, you know, he had to have gotten paid well. But anyway, in that first observation scene, he he really is playing all the stuff we talked about. Yeah. But he also has to make the other guy look good, like the hero. He can't overshadow him. Mm-hmm. And then I wonder if this is an acting choice or if this is just a mistake for the benefit of the episode. It works though. It's Picard is basically kind of doing the, you know, ah, I have a strong connection to the Bajorans, but when you first meet him, he goes, welcome to Bajor. And then at the <laughs> end he says, he says Bajor. So it's that, mm-hmm. and which is what Cisco has been calling it the whole time. So it's like Patrick Stewart basically kind of being like that liberal hero, like, oh, yes, I've, you know what I mean? I've, 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 I help certain causes and all that. And Cisco's the one actually doing the work. And then yeah. Picard realizes, ooh, I've been saying it wrong the whole time. Yeah, this is how we talk in Arizona. Um, yes. yeah. <laughs> or is it just, uh, you know, uh, Billy D. Williams and Star Trek thing where everyone's like, no, it's, it's, it's Han Solo. He's like, I'm going to call him Han. Yeah. Yeah, could be. No, it's Han Solo. Yeah, cool. I'm calling him Han, Han the whole time. That's just what I'm doing. And David Carson's like, we've got Patrick Stewart for three days. I'm not going to correct him. Exactly. On the, I'm yeah. going to pronounce it. Okay, maybe. Yep. He figured it out by the last day, and that's fine. Avery Brooks, though, just to because I'm this isn't a Patrick Stewart thing, but like Avery Brooks, he had to play a commander. He had to play a father. He had mm-hmm. to play a husband. He had to basically kind of play a younger energy version of mm-hmm. that person. And then he had to basically play his psyche when he's talking to the aliens, which is like a cross of all those things. And he had to be interesting in every scene. You know, mm-hmm. he had to drive every scene. He couldn't take a beat off. couldn't take a moment off. Um, he doesn't overpower any of anyone else. 
it's it, and and it's the first time he's playing this character that they haven't even figured out. You yep. know what I mean? So it's yeah. like you you had to bring so much to it, and unlike uh, Picard and Encounter at Farpoint, and unlike Shatner or Kirk in uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, there's a lot more being asked of this lead character than any of those other characters in their first yes. episodes. It's perfect. He pr- he pulls off perfect. I believe he's a dad when he's being a dad. I believe mm-hmm. he's being like a good commander when he's being buddy with O'Brien and even with Kira, right? Like he's like, we're all on the same team here. Um, I mean, great explanation of baseball. Oh, just <laughs> um, so I'm actually going to agree with both of you. And so I'm not able to break this tie. Um, I thought they were both amazing. And I just went back and forth on this one a lot. One, a lot. So yeah, I think for me, I give it to both of them if I can. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing right. it. Okay. Okay. Sure. So next category is the Shatner. Brian, what do you have? Um, Gold Jassad. Mm. You have one hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow you have destroyed our warship. <laughs> Remember, the Shatner is not bad acting necessarily. It's just you're going for it. But really, <laughs> all the way. I don't think there's a bad performance in this whole episode. No. I think everyone does what they need to do. I had to give it to the beach scene. I'm sorry that ADR does not work. Um, I think it just <laughs> step all over really her. bad. Yeah. It did such yeah. a bad disservice to everyone who I think is really great. And it just made everyone sound ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so that was just unfortunate. I think as it pain, as much as it pains me to give it to them. Oh, the alien versions of the Saratoga con and ops officers. Your linear nature is inherently destructive. You yeah. have no regard yeah. for the consequences of your acts. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> okay. We don't have yeah. time for a second take. Let's just go with it. <laughs> exactly. I would definitely give it to the Bolian. That guy through the entire thing was definitely going for it. Like definitely oh. given it. I think he was very aware. This is all I've got in this episode. This is probably the last time anyone will ever see me. I'm leaving it all on the floor, you know, all of it. It, it. Even in the beginning of it, it felt, it felt like a little, it was like, okay, all right, guy, there you go. All right. Kapli, Lieutenant Kapli is getting a call there. All right. <laughs> what part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? I'm jumping in because I have to reveal that this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Jake, <laughs> Ben Cisco's first contact with wormhole aliens is textbook for how Starfleet would teach how they'd want, first contact to go and cisco had a herculean task you know they were talking him through his own grief he helped him helped him with an emotional breakthrough even but they also Mm -hmm. had established peaceful relations with these hard to pin down aliens anyway (laughs) fair very fair yeah i think the same thing but also um here's a shortcut to the gamma quadrant now (laughs) (laughs) i also have baseball is a metaphor for life even in the 24th century Mm-hmm. Very nice. Uh, I go very particular. Um, O'Brien flew a space station. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like what? Yeah. That's that. Like whatever rerouting uh, to develop the thing to fly a space station on six rickety thrusters. That's definitely that's there's definitely an entire engineering course built around how how the hell did he do that? I didn't want to sour your your best Trek trope because you liked O'Brien pushing all the buttons, but yeah, this space station is like is like knocked to shit, right? So how yeah. is everything working first of all, so that you're gonna get like peak efficiency or even close to it? But second of all, Dex says 
what if we modify the deflector's warp field? And like, wait, why does the deflector have a warp field? Nope, unclear. Doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> it's yeah, I, I was very confused by the entire conversation of all like revolving on how are we going to get the space station to the wormhole. <laughs> to the wormhole fast, like fast, that was really quickly. That we needed to get there in like four minutes, yeah. and it's supposed yeah. to take three days. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brilliant. and then how would the predecessor captain slash so resolve the conflict? Which, I mean, this is this is a tough one. This is our thought exercise. But what's the conflict? Is the conflict the wormhole? Or is the conflict the Cardassians? Is the conflict the Bajoran situation? Could take you could take your pick, or if you don't have anything, you can just say pass. <laughs> I mean, the conflict to me is the Cardassian. Well, is the wormhole? Is there's this wormhole here? Um, I think the only place that Picard would have done something different would have been sort of in the resolution of it. Because Picard also, I mean, let's be honest, Picard being the captain of the the Enterprise is kind of a hit it and quit it guy. So he definitely would have been like, here is this Bajoran person who can be your contact while I get back on my starship and go away. Like he would have made sure, like it was interesting to me that like there is no resolution like, there's no scene with Kai, which, which Kai is it? Opaka. Kai Opaka at the end of it. Like, I know that comes later, but there's no scene where he's like, oh, I talked to the wormhole aliens. We're all cool now. So you can <laughs> unify this government so it doesn't fall. Like, it's so interesting. It felt like that was just left to dangle. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like Picard yeah, like, would have made sure that was done. That would have been like job number one was let me go and make sure the, the Bajoran government doesn't collapse. Oh, that's great. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, that is it would have been point. hard. I was like, well, Riker would have been on that shuttle. It wouldn't have been yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, I, that's yeah. what I put. I don't think he would have gone himself. And then it's like, would, would Data have been on the shuttle? And then the aliens are talking to Data? Because da- Data's not corporeal, right? And they got really pissed that Cisco was corporeal. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Data talking to them aliens would have been great. They all would have been confused. Yeah. <laughs> It's all of them confusing each Explain other. Explain to us baseball data. Oh. <laughs> I don't think data would have come up with that. He no. Was, he was said time was first theorized by Blah yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, then I think that leads us in very nicely into Trek, Mary or Kill, Emissary for Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Jay, please go first. <laughs> uh, marry. I love the show. I would marry it. I want to move to Deep Space Nine. I'm bummed that I don't <laughs> live there already. Kristen, uh, I think I'm gonna say Trek, but it's close. Oh, you have a Trek. I'm breaking the tie. I'm gonna marry it. I mean, this is wow. uh, <laughs> uh, it's our first Mary, and I also think it's just uh, it's an amazing pilot, and it's weird what the show. It's not weird. It's just amazing to see what the show becomes. But it all starts here from a very solid place, and uh, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it very much. I can rewatch it every couple of years, and it it's great. Very entertaining. Yeah. Um, I will say about the theme music, though. Glad they changed it in the later seasons. Glad yes. Spent it up. <laughs> Probably the part that works the least. And um, all right. Well, yes. Jay, this has been great. Is there anything you want to plug or promote before we sign off? I mean, just check out Handmaid's Tale um, on the Hulu. Uh, season five is just about to wrap up. So do that. And then uh, in early 2023, uh, look for my uh, Bishop limited series. Uh, with Marvel Comics. Holy crap. All awesome. right. That's awesome. 
All right. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with an all new episode. And, and you can find us on all the major podcast services. Don't forget to give us five stars and review us on Apple Podcasts. Till then, TMK out. Bye. Bye. Bye.